Good morning, everyone. I'm Jonathan Young. If you don't know, I'm one of the campus ministers at the Sequoia Campus Ministry and Church, and of course involved here as well. And I'll be taking the reins this morning, and I'm going to tell a story, but a little background first. I converted in 2016 to Christianity, and so I've been a Christian almost six years now, and I was wanting to get into video and film, and that was what I wanted to do, so I took as many internships as I could at the time, and I had interned at a church that my parents went to over the summers, and during that time, I was eventually, I guess, so good that I got offered a paid internship, and I had not much going on in my life because I had to move back in with my parents for a variety of reasons, and my life was kind of falling apart. And during that time, though, I started reading scriptures and praying, and I would say that was the main reason was developing that relationship on my own. But just after that was that I was discipled by two guys. One was my boss at the internship at the church, and another was named Ken. And Ken is a very impressive man. He was adopted by a man named Jun Ri in Washington, D.C. when he was a kid. And Jun Ri is considered the father of modern Taekwondo and in many ways is responsible for bringing back and reviving martial arts and bringing it to America. And Ken was his number two guy and eventually took over for him and he's private so I don't want to get into too many details but very very legit and very incredible and Ken had a very strong woman of prayer as a wife and still does and she had prayed for him for a long time and eventually he converted and he actually decided he was a workaholic and he felt too prideful and so he quit and got a job as a janitor for the church and so you would never know his background but the church I was at North Boulevard had a school of discipleship they were doing and through a turn of events Ken ended up going from DC to Tennessee to join and during that time, he offered to teach me Taekwondo, and I was uh, a big mess, and my life was uh, what you would call now a, a dumpster fire, and I had not much going on, and so I said, sounds like a good deal to me, and so he eventually then offered to do two hours a day, five days a week, and he said it's the most intense he's ever gone. And again, I said, sounds like a good deal to me. And so we did it. And during the time, of course, he discipled me spiritually. But so that's important because Ken's philosophy and Junri's philosophy is that many people 
who join martial arts want to jump in and learn all the Jackie Chan moves and a hundred ways to kill a man, but Jun Ri and So Ken, and what I learned was intense two hours and 45 minutes on my own a day of about the same four kicks and four to eight stances, about four punches and so forth, over and over and over and over. And the philosophy is you may not jump into 80 moves, you can learn to do one punch first that can decapitate a man and also be a nice, pretty, smooth line and go back. So that's a bit of hyperbole, but the point is it should be very natural to do the basics and do them as good as possible before you move on. And you master the basics and everything else is easy and you're ready for. So after a long time of countless hours when it was time to learn the, the Jackie Chan moves and become a, a kung fu um, all uh, renaissance man, it was all very, very natural and it Ken would show me the stuff and after a few tries I'd be able to get it down because once you master the basics, again, that's, the rest is very easy. And so another story is when I was in middle school and in high school, I was really into guitar. And I took lessons and my teacher told me, learn your scales, learn your scales. And I, of course, wanted to learn my favorite songs. So I spent about five seconds on that and then moved on to all of the, the best songs, in my opinion, all the, the Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and Stevie Ray Vaughan, and I could do, after hours, several pretty impressive stuff and at least songs, but then I was deciding to um, join the rhythm section of the high school jazz band, and so most of the people there in band had come in from eighth grade, at least the people trying out, because it was freshman year, and they had done about one class a week and some practice at home, and then I had, you know, spent hours on the, the fun solos and Stevie Ray Vaughan's, and all that prepared me for nothing. I joined, and the most simple and obvious situations were a nightmare and I fought to survive the wrath of my band teacher and humiliation, and I got by, but I was able to do my job, but the rest of the rhythm section, of course, they, they thrived, and when we would do jam sessions and whatnot in free time, and it was time for me to show off my songs, the, the bass player also played guitar and would bring it in, and he would kind of listen to me and then after a few tries, he would just play along and all of my hard work, after a few seconds, he could just hop on and then the piano player could too after just listening. And I always asked, how do you do it? How are you so good? And it was a single simple sentence and shrug every time. You just, you know, practice your scales a lot. 
and I heard my guitar teacher's voice mocking me in the back of my head because I ignored him. And when it was time for solos and stuff in concerts, I would have to genuinely prepare the solo beforehand, and it was so embarrassing. I didn't tell anyone because I knew everyone else was able to just whip out on the fly whatever they wanted. But it was because, again, I didn't focus on the basics. But if I had, I'd be ready. And so the point is basics and you're ready. And now another story is one of my mentors I've known who's a spiritual guy was friends with a pastor at a mega church, which had genuinely thousands of people and hundreds of baptisms each year. And it was a church that really was one that revolved around the pastor. And this church wasn't in Tennessee or the PNW. So if you try and sleuth, you won't know who it is. But, uh, but my mentor is spiritual. So the pastor wanted to talk to him about advice. And he said to him that there was a woman that he had developed a relationship with who was not his wife and he feels a compulsion to have an affair, and he thinks he's going to go through with it, and he's not able to not do it. And my mentor asked him, have you prayed about it? And the pastor kind of looked at him like, what do you mean? What? He hadn't. And he hadn't prayed about it, and it sounds so silly, but in my time that I've spent counseling or doing ministry or advice, I usually ask, well, how often do you pray and read your Bible every day? And it's pretty low. And before I push on to, you know, try this method or read this book, I say, okay, if you want to work on this, start off by sacrificing a half hour every day to do that, to pray and read your Bible. Because I think I've found a pretty consistent pattern in that a very simple thing, what I would say about a little two-minute event, at least, is that I think I've noticed that people who do something pretty consistently have a certain special light about them, a special glow as Christians, where you can just tell and that simple thing is a little morning devotional and prayer. I think everyone I've known who does that in the morning has a really sort of special light about them. And it's such a, a small and simple thing, but it's so much better than nothing. And only good and only positive can come from doing just a short devotional and prayer in the morning. And only negative can come from not doing it because you wake up and your consciousness is groggy and it enters a situation where life's not fair and you're going to face the fact that things don't go your way and you probably feel stuff happens that you don't deserve and are emotional and say, why is everything going so wrong and I work so hard and nothing goes my way and you're probably entering 
into this situation every day you wake up and you're not ready because you're also groggy. And so what are you going to do? And this is a verse I'd like to read from Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The good portion has a only positive result that will not be taken away. And I have learned to pray about everything because not for um, humble, self-righteous reasons, but for selfish reasons, which is I don't want to waste my time and energy on stuff that isn't going to work out. And I want to pray before everything because I've had enough stress. I don't want to do something that's stupid because God, this is a important fact. God only wants what's best for you. And so in the Bible, Solomon did not seek God's counsel and he went ahead and did something on his own and he lost his place. He went insane and he died. And that was not punishment, that's just life. That's what life does to you. It's overwhelming and it's hard. And Solomon found out the hard way that life is tough and you need to seek God's counsel. He is your only hope for survival and why I always recommend first thing in the morning, having the right mindset and doing at least just a little one-minute prayer or one-minute devotional. But of course, longer is very good as well. And, but even the bare minimum, I think you would notice is much better than nothing. And I know I've noticed plenty in my life, my mood and attitude and mindset is in a bad place when I skip that. And so God only wants what's best for you. But this may seem like a contradiction, and it is a little bit of a hyperbole, but God does not want you to be happy. That mindset is a bad mindset, and it's self-centered. It's about me. God wants everyone, emphasis on everyone, not just you, to be in a relationship with him and saved. And if you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of that is joy. So in that context, he does want you to have joy, but the point is remember that the point of prayer is doing God's will and having counsel, but not just for you, because God has his people act, and that is the major way that brings about salvation. As you probably know, 
as that's probably how you heard the gospel, is someone sharing it or sharing a Bible or whatever. But another big way is like Ken's wife, prayer. And so I talk about praying in the morning, not just for inner peace or whatever, but prayer does stuff. It's not just to give you a spiritual boost, but in the same way that God had Moses raise his staff to part the Red Sea or had Joshua march around Jericho, prayer is our marching around Jericho. Prayer does stuff. And I know that, of course, we may have experiences of prayers not being answered, but that's not really, again, the might right right mindset. And so one of my favorite examples of prayer in the New Testament from Jesus is from before the crucifixion when he's praying in Gethsemane. This is Luke 22, 39 through 42. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus has been preaching for half the gospel now that he's going to be crucified, handed over to the Gentiles and killed, and he prays that it won't happen, which, of course, seems like a contradiction, but again, that's not the right mindset of prayer. You shouldn't limit prayers to what you think can or can't happen. So an example would be praying for healing a cold but not uh, incurable disease. Why would you do one and not the other? It may be not because of humility, but it may be because you don't want to be disappointed. But if your faith is shaky based off of what happens from prayers, then that's not really the right mindset of faith or prayer. And so I encourage lots that I could keep going on, but the best teacher, of course, is experience when I joined all the video clubs and programs I could and internships. Anyone would tell you that they learned the most when it was time to do the projects, when the teacher said, okay, now you go do it. And so I want to stay focused and on time, but I could keep going. But what I want to emphasize is, again, the best teacher is experience, and so focus on the basics because they matter. And reading scripture does stuff too. It's not just knowledge, but something spiritual happens to you where you are being changed because of it, and especially obeying, and you do grow, of course, in knowledge and wisdom, but it's a spiritual process too, and it's one that everyone needs. And so I recommend, again, if you do a morning devo to stick to the basics and stick to the Bible, if you read a devotional that's 
someone else, then that's not bad, but I would recommend that being secondary and at least focus on the Bible, whether it's just a chapter of the gospel each morning, one of the gospels, which would easily take not much time, less than a minute, or it could be a specific scripture plan. I have a morning devo that I like. It's called Daily Light. It's um, published by Thomas Nelson Publishing, and it's just a bunch of scriptures that are a certain theme back to back, and then it has the, the actual verses at the bottom. So I can give an example. It has one in the morning and evening, but again, so this is, if you're interested, called Daily Light Devotional by published by Thomas Nelson, and this is February 6th morning. The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. For sin abounded, grace abounded much more that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. According to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Then there's a little mark in between each verse, and it has at the bottom, 1 Timothy 1.14, 2 Corinthians 8.9, Romans 5.20, Ephesians 2.7 and 9. Galatians 2.16, Titus 3.5-6. So that's an example of a good one, but again, you can do whatever, but I think I like it so much that I decided to make my own. So now I'm going to read a bunch of verses that I picked that I think are fitting back-to-back, back, and then I'll say what they are. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the miracles that I do, 
and greater than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power, and it is working. Elijah, that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on passions. In Luke 18, 1 through 8. I'm interrupting the flow of not uh, saying it for myself because this one I have in my Bible because I brought it and I need to use it somewhere. So, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And then the rest of those were Psalm 119, 105, Luke 11, 5 through 13, John 14, 12 through 17, James 5, 14 through 18, and 4, 2 through 3. And so I have another parable of sorts that I made up. There was a church who needed a new youth minister because the youth were struggling, and they accomplish it, and the members show no interest in the youth, and so the youth have no interest in them after high school and leave anyways. What did they have when they solved the problem? They had more problems. That's an important life lesson what do you get when you solve problems? You get more problems. And there was a church that had a problem. Their worship was lacking. People were struggling. It was bad. They decided to get a new worship minister. The preacher took on a second job and wore himself thin, became grumpy in order for the church to afford it. And he was very stressed always. He had no time. They get the worship minister, and the first Sunday, half the church is gone. Turns out, 
someone made a mean comment and the person talked to someone else, that person had a mean comment and it snowballed into a church split and the preacher had no time to invest because he was run so thin. And if he did, maybe it would have been okay, but maybe not because what you get is more problems when you solve problems. And then there was another church who wanted to reach the community, which is important. So they wanted an outreach event. Everyone started reading all the books on the best outreach events. They made it their number one priority above all. And they wanted to see the auditorium overflowing and they succeeded. They took reverse mortgages on their homes to fund this concert or carnival or whatever. Thousands show next Sunday, it's overflowing. Sunday after that, the pandemic comes and they have to close and no one wants to do Zoom, including their own members. And they're broke and sad and angry. They had a problem and they gave it everything and accomplished it and they got more problems. And so what should be priority? There was another church who had goals as well, but they put it below their main goal, which was, of course, doing God's will and praying in scripture. And they had a vision as well for an outreach event because of how important they need to reach the community. But they felt agreed. They all agreed that they had a bad feeling about it and were being told to be patient. They understood when the pandemic hits because their members were putting prayer first and God's will and the vision second. And because they were putting scriptures and prayer and God's will first, they knew the importance of staying together and they grew stronger despite all of the hard times and met in whatever way they could. And through that strength, as more people had a stronger need for a community, they were able to reach that need and reach the community that way. And there was another church who wanted a youth minister and the members themselves decided to step up to be the youth ministers and they felt it was God's will because they were praying and felt called for that and everyone invested in the youth. And there was another church who needed a worship, mem worship minister and they prioritized that, but they also prayed about it and, of course, spent lots of time in Scripture and sought God's will first. During that time, someone made a comment that rubbed someone the wrong way. They talked to the other person about it, and the other person was, they were talking on the phone and put the, put the offender on the party and added them and said, deal with this right now. Knowing that Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him between you and him alone. By the way, I know someone who did that. Uh, my dad, well, my dad told me this story. He once spoke to another minister and somehow it came up that someone had a problem with this minister and the guy called that person right then and there and said, 
David told me you have a problem with me. So that's a, that's a really um, bold and interesting way. But anyways, so during that time, the preacher calls lots of people, but also prays about it and gets a call himself. And in a total God thing, it worked out, and they found someone, and it worked, and he was willing to go to that city too and do it as well. And a lot of churches I've known who pray together, not just individually, but together, have lots of stories of God things happening, including this church, which I know as I've heard and when we first were wanting to move and visited here, they said they had been praying to try to reach students, and we had also been praying about reaching students here, but of course it's hard because we would have moved, and it's hard when you don't move somewhere and don't have any type of community and don't really have a close connection, and at the same time, I was also in a small group with Calvin and Alicia Gruen, and the church here was also praying for a new preacher and talking to Calvin. And all the while we were talking to each other, none of the three parties was aware. And that's, in my opinion, once we found out, uh, we announced to the church we were moving to be a part of it, and Calvin talked to us and said, you're moving to Eugene, and he said, have you heard of Eugene Church of Christ? And when we found out, that was what I would call, for sure, a major answered prayer and a major God thing. And that's one antidote, but I know don't limit yourself or not see this because you don't go for it. And so I've noticed my whole life. I'm a lot better off when I don't lose sight of the basics, the foundation, and seek things, but don't be too busy that I lose sight of what my faith is based in, and don't get caught up in all kinds of other stuff, even if they're good in a way that loses my vision and my foundation. And so on my black belt, I have imprinted on it John 15, 4 through 5, which fits really well with the lesson, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is a important but also easy thing that I want to encourage and remind as everything goes on around you to remember to have the right perspective and remember to stay close to the basic things that we often forget about as we want to advance and so stick to that and stick to uh, stick to the foundations, and that's it.